Well, good morning. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. This morning we will continue our walk through the garden narrative as we finish Genesis chapter 2 together. Let's start by reading our passage. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18. Hear now the words of the only true and living God. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken Out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his holy and infallible word. You may be seated. This morning, we are going to look at our passage together in three points. Our first point, as we look at verses 18 through 20, will be help needed. As we look at why it was not good for Adam to be alone. This will lead us into our second point, help provided, where we will look at God's solution for Adam's need in verses 21 through 23. And our last point today will be marriage, where we will look in verses 24 and 25 at this first marriage and the ways in which it instructs us as well as a beautiful gospel picture that it paints for us. But before we begin, let us go to the Lord in prayer together, asking for his help as we look at his word today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thankful for this day that you have made, thankful for this time that you have given us to gather us together as your people, that we might worship you in spirit and in truth, that you might Minister to us by your spirit and by your truth. Father, we ask that you would help us as we look at your word this morning to glean 
from it, to rightly divide it, to rightly understand it, to cling to it, and to not just be doers, or not to just be hearers of it, but to be doers as well. Father, as we consider these things, we want to take a moment to lift up to you our dear sister, Kim Finney, asking that you would comfort her as she is with her father in his last days and as she is burdened by the thought of losing him. Oh, Father, be with our sister this morning. Comfort her with the hope that she has, that your son has purchased for her, that she would, in her grief, that she would find a reason for rejoicing, knowing that when her father draws his last breath here, that his life is just beginning. And Father, that one day she will be with him again, worshiping you for all eternity. Father, comfort our dear sister in this truth this morning. Father, we want to lift up to you also our sister churches. We lift up to you Grace Emanuel Reformed Baptist Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We also lift up our sister church down in Wilkesboro, Word of Grace Baptist Church. Father, be with our brothers and sisters there as they gather together this morning to worship you, to be ministered to by you. Father, do your work in their midst. Glorify yourself in and through them. Use them in their communities to be heralds of your gospel, ambassadors for your kingdom. Father, we also think of our persecuted brethren in the world. We lift up our persecuted brothers and sisters in Nigeria to you this morning. We ask, Father, that you would help them as they suffer violent attacks from Boko Haram and that you would provide for them those things that they need, medical supplies and other material things. Father, we ask that you would replace the Bibles that were destroyed by Muslim extremists. Father, that you would help them to share your gospel, to do good to their enemies. Father, that you would be gracious and merciful to work through them, to see those who hate you and hate them right now become your children and receive your mercy through your Son. Father, as we turn our attention now to your word and what you have before us as we've gathered together as your people this morning. Help us, Father, to hear, to love, and to obey. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of the most comforting words that our God has spoken to his people comes from Romans 8, 28, and 
very familiar passage of Scripture, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. What a comforting truth that is for us, beloved. Truth that everything in your life and everything that is not in your life is being worked together by your Savior for your salvation. In other words, beloved, your God at all times and in all ways is giving to you and withholding from you that which is for your eternal good. This morning, as we look at the end of Genesis chapter 2, we are going to see that Adam, the sinless son who loved God and had a purpose, Adam needed this promise. He needed it because at this point in creation, he did not possess something that he needed from God to provide for him. Adam, in the garden alone, lacked something vital. At this point in creation, Adam lacked the ability to fulfill the mandate that God would give to him. Adam, at this point, was not able to fill the earth and subdue it by himself. And so in our passage today, we're going to see God giving to Adam exactly what he needed. We're going to see God's perfect provision for what Adam lacked. We are going to see God working all things together for his good. Let's get started looking at these things in our first point this morning, help needed. As we look at verse 18, we can see that at this point, on the sixth day of creation, that Adam was alone. Now look at what God says about these circumstances in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And there's a lot of firsts in our passage this morning, but this is the first time in the Bible that God says that something is not good. Man, his creation, made in his image, sinless and holy, but alone, God says that this is not good. Now, this does not mean that Adam was defective in some way. It was not that there was something wrong with how God had made him. This situation was not good because God had not made man to be an island unto himself. God did not make Adam to be self-sufficient. God intentionally made Adam to need things outside of himself. He intentionally created him so that he couldn't do it alone. God made Adam in such a way that he could not do by himself what God had created him and would commission him to do. Adam was never meant to be self-sufficient in need of nothing or no one else beside himself. And brothers and sisters, this isn't a design flaw in God's creation. This isn't a bug in the system. It is a feature of it. Adam, unable to fill the earth, unable to exercise dominion by himself, isn't a mistake. It is exactly what God intended. God intentionally created Adam such that he would need 
a companion, such that he would need a complement, a helper suitable for the work that God would give him to do. And not just a helper suitable for the work, but a helper indispensable for the work. A helper without which the work could never be accomplished. Adam needed a helper that could bring to the table something that he lacked, something that he did not possess. And we can see in the second half of verse 18 that providing this helper that Adam needed is exactly what God intends to do when he says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, as soon as God says this, as soon as he says that he is going to make a suitable helper for Adam, look at what it says in verses 19 and 20. Then out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, the birds, the heavens, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So Adam being alone is not good because he cannot do what he was created for by himself. Adam needs God to provide something for him to be able to fulfill God's purposes in his life. So we see in verses 19 and 20 that God brings all these creatures to Adam, all the beasts of the field, all the birds of the air, all the livestock, all of the other creatures like Adam, made from the dust of the ground, and yet we see at the end of verse 20, for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. How instructive this was for Adam. As God brings to him this parade of creatures, as he names them, Because what is happening here is Adam gives all these animals their names is that Adam is exercising dominion over them. The naming of these creatures was an act of dominion. It was the act of a king. But how instructive to Adam and to us that in all the creatures under man's dominion, there was not a single one found to be a suitable helper for him. There was not a single one that could help the man do the work that God was giving him to do. No creature under man's dominion was a helper fit for him. This leads us to our second point today to see God's solution to this need of man. Look at verses 21 and 22. And let's hear again God's solution to man's need. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. God's solution for man's need was basically divine surgery, followed by creation followed by God bringing this woman to the man. God puts Adam under a divinely induced general sedation. Then he proceeds with the scalpel and bone saw, so to speak, 
Then God sews up the man with flesh, and then he creates and forms the woman from the rib that he had taken from the man. And lastly, he brings this woman to the man. This, beloved, is the creation of the first woman, and it should be marvelous in our eyes. Not for the surgical skill of our Creator, but for the ways in which it instructs us about our Creator. Adam was alone, and he was incapable of doing by himself that which God had created him to do. And our God was not distant. He was not unconcerned with what Adam needed. Our God knew exactly what Adam needed, and our God cared about what he lacked. How comforting this should be to us, beloved. Our God knows what we need. He knows what we lack. And Jesus taught us that our God knows these things even before we ask him. What a comfort it should be to us that not only does our God know, but that he cares. He cares so much that Jesus said, we don't have to be anxious. We shouldn't be anxious about the things that we ask God for because we can trust As we read in the beginning, he is working all things together for our good. He is withholding things from us for our good. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Savior instructs us that we should not be anxious about the things we take to our Heavenly Father in prayer because, beloved, as Jesus said, your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then he instructs us to redirect our thoughts from our anxieties, and says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Beloved, I hope the Holy Spirit is bringing those anxious things in your life to your mind right now, and is comforting you in them with these truths. Beloved, whatever it is, you can trust God with it. You can trust that even if it doesn't work out the way that you hope that it will, you can trust that it is working out for your eternal good. Your Heavenly Father knows. Your Heavenly Father cares. Your Heavenly Father loves you. Beloved, we can move from these personal things that may churn up in our hearts and minds to things here at the church. There are things right now that we as a church could be very anxious about. How is the vote going to go today with moving forward with purchasing this building? What would it mean if we decided not to buy it? Where would we go if we don't buy it and the owner sells it to someone else and they want us to leave in a couple of years? What's it going to mean if we do buy it? Are we getting in over our heads or do we have too many irons in the fire? Does doing this and trying to plant a church at the same time, is it too much? What is it going to mean if we plant a church in Wilkes? Are are people going to leave? How is it going to affect us giving our beloved Pastor Scott and his family to this work? What if some people leave? What if others end up leaving because they were close to the people who left or went to the church plant? And what if all this happens and we end up buying this building? Are we grabbing the dog by the ears here? Beloved, there is much that we could be anxious about. 
but we are in an exciting season as a church right now as we are seeking to lay some foundational stones in the life of this church, foundational stones upon which we hope that God will do great things for the glory of His great name for generations to come. A building from which to labor for Christ in our generation and for generations to come. A permanent home, a permanent location. Going through labor pains of giving birth to a a new church plant. Beloved, as we consider such anxiety-producing thoughts, we should learn from Adam in the garden. Adam was alone. He was unable to do what God was going to give him to do, and he didn't know the solution. He didn't know the answer to the problem. And so too, beloved, we don't know all the things that we need in order to accomplish the difficult task of planting a church. And we don't know all the providential protections that we need our God to give to us as we seek to find a permanent home as a church. But beloved, what we do know is that we must heed the words of our Savior as we seek to do things for His glory. We must labor in faith. We must ask our Heavenly Father for wisdom, for protection, for provision, and we must not be double-minded as we do. We must not be unstable in all of our ways. We must labor for Christ knowing that our Heavenly Father knows what we need even before we have asked. And so we ask Him in faith and not in anxiety. Because what we need is not to know how God is going to work out every detail concerning these things, but what we need as brothers and sisters in Christ, what we need as a church is to seek His kingdom, to seek His glory, to seek His righteousness, and trust that He is going to add to us all of the things that we need. Trust that all things will not might, will work together for our eternal good. Beloved, after taking that little side road to apply this to ourselves, let's turn our minds back now to our passage here in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2. Look at verses 21 and 22. We need to take note of some things about the creation of the first woman. First of all, we need to notice that the woman was not made directly from the dust of the ground. Eve was not created like Adam. She was not created like the other beasts. She was made directly from the man. She is bone of his bones, flesh of his flesh. And this instructs us that Eve is equal to Adam. God's wise design and his sovereign choice here in not making woman from the dust of the ground in a separate act from man prevents us from seeing the woman as being lesser than man or seeing her like the other beasts of the earth under man's dominion. It also prevents us from seeing her as greater or better than the man. 
as though God had to try again because the man he had created wasn't sufficient to do what he needed to happen by himself. It's not like the coffee mug that my wonderful daughter Olivia gave to me for Father's Day a couple of years ago that says, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Love your second born. (laughs) In God's wise design and in his sovereign prerogative, he made woman in such a way from the man to show both her equality with him, she was taken out of him, as well as her purpose. She was made in order to be his helper. Eve was not made in order to be her own autonomous leader, but in order that she would help her husband fulfill the mandate given to them by their creator. And just as the fact that Adam needed a helper that was not found in the animal kingdom instructs us that dogs are not man's best friend, just as this is true, the way God created Eve instructs us that the feminist uh, mantra of I don't need a man is just as untrue. Eve was created just as insufficient for the task that God gives to mankind as Adam was. Just as Adam could not fill the earth and subdue it by himself, the same was true of Eve. Eve was not made to blaze her own trail. Eve was not created so that the world could hear her roar. However, Eve was also not made to follow man as he blazed his own trail or so that the world could hear him roar. Beloved, Adam and Eve were made to fill the earth with holy image bearers together. They were created to exercise dominion over creation together. And we must be instructed by the fact that neither of them could do it without the other. God made them both intentionally so that they would need each other as complements to do what he was going to give them to do. This is the created order of our God, beloved, and any recalling from it shows the influence of worldliness, not godliness. It shows just how subtle, like the serpent, the culture, and the world can be in influencing our thinking and causing us to recall from what God is clearly saying in his word instead of embracing it. Now, as we think about the creation of the woman in our passage today, of all the things that should be clear to us from how God made Eve by now is the fact that she is not inferior to Adam. She is created in the image of God every bit as much as he is, as is clear from Genesis 1:27, which we've gone through already. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now, verse 23 in our passage this morning is the first time we hear man speaking in the Bible. And these are significant words as they reflect man's acknowledgement that both that woman is both his equal, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and that she was made for him. He was taken out 
of man. This is important because as we see in the second half of verse 23, it is the man who who decides what the woman would be called. It's also important for us to realize this because we will see later in chapter 3 that Adam gives Eve her name. It's important here to stress woman's equality with man in the image of God because unlike the animals, when Adam names Eve, he is not exercising dominion over her, but rather he is showing his headship over her. He is her head, not her ruler. He is to lead her, he is to love her, he is to give himself up for her. The beloved, here from the very beginning, we can see that two things are true. Men and women have equal value. And men are to lead as head, and women are to follow that lead as helpers. And as we think about these categories of equality and headship and helpership, we should not seek to separate these two truths that our God has joined together in his creation. We should not seek to separate the value and the beauty that both men and women have in their roles. Being the head and the leader does not make men greater than or superior to, and being a helper and follower and submissive does not make women less than. What it does is that it makes them both indispensable to each other. It means that they are both different and important. To deny that they are equal and valuable in value would be to deny that they are both God's image. And to deny that men and women have differing roles would be to deny that God said, I will make a helper fit for him. This is the created order, beloved, and it should be a delight to us. Listen to how the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 11. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made from man, so man is now born of woman. And all things are from God. Let's move on to our final point today as we see the result of God making the woman and bringing her to the man. As we look at the last two verses of our passage today, we can see that because man needed a helper, as we looked at in our first point, and because God provided one, as we just saw in our second point, because these things are true, we can see here in verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. When God gives the good gift of a wife to a man, and when he gives the good gift of a husband to a woman, they are to hold fast to each other. They are to cling, stick to each other. Verse 24 makes this explicit with the husband, but the wife must also leave her father and mother because, as we can see at the end of verse 24, they, the husband and the wife, are the ones who are becoming one flesh. 
Now, obviously, when the scriptures say they become one flesh, this is speaking of the sexual union that happens in marriage, and we can especially see this with what comes next in verse 25, that they were both naked and unashamed. But what is happening here in verse 24 is more than just a sexual union. When a man and a woman leave their parents and hold fast to each other, what is happening is that a new family is being formed. Two children from two different families with two different mothers and fathers come together and form a new family with a new leader, with a new head, with a new suitable helper. And they together can be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now something that we could easily miss here, but I think is important to notice, is that verse 24 is the first time in the Bible where we have the Bible interpreting itself and making an application from that interpretation. You can see the fact, if you look at verse 24, you can see it in the fact that verse 24 mentions fathers and mothers, but here in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 2, fathers and mothers don't exist yet. So what is happening here in verse 24 is that Moses is taking what we've seen in the need of a man for a helper and God creating woman, and he is applying what God has done. Moses is taking this and applying it to his first audience of Genesis, which we've talked about several times was the people of Israel. Man's need and God's intentionality in creating woman is the foundation of of marriage. And Moses is taking this truth and showing us that God has intended for marriage to be the bedrock of society. This is how he is instructing the people of Israel. Monogamous, heterosexual, covenant marriage is what is being communicated to Israel as they read this two people, one man, one woman, bound in a covenant marriage together living together as a new family with faithfulness, love, leadership, and submission, producing the next generation. There's no doubt that this is the intention behind what we are seeing here in verse 24, because even our Savior, when he was challenged concerning divorce, the breaking apart of a marriage in Matthew 19, he quotes our passage this morning saying, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Beloved, this is the only acceptable form of of human sexuality and intimacy. And this created order that God imposed from the very beginning is why the Bible always condemns man's wicked attempts to pervert this design in acts of fornication, adultery, homosexuality, or bestiality. So as we are seeing this here in verse 24, I want to take a moment to make a few more applications from it to us. 
First of all, I want to say that leaving father and mother does not mean abandoning or not honoring your parents. Jesus makes it very clear in Mark chapter 7 that adults are still responsible for honoring their fathers and mothers. So leaving and cleaving in our passage this morning, holding fast, as it says in verse 24, this does not mean forsaking your parents. It really doesn't even mean that you have to leave them locationally. There's nothing wrong with multiple generations living in the same house. Many cultures do it. But what it does mean is that there is a new relationship between this new family that has been formed. There's a new relationship between these two children who have come together and formed a new family. There's a new relationship between them and their parents. Husbands, your bride is your God-given helper. Do not try to force your wife to do the things the way your mama did them when you grew up. I don't care how good her fried chicken was. Your mother was given to your father as his helpmate, not to you. Husbands, be thankful for the differences between your mother and your wife. Because your wife is God's good gift to you. Just as your mother was God's good gift to your father. Wives, your husband is your God-given leader and the head of your family. Your father was that for your mother. And you cut the legs out from under your husband every time you try to force him to be what your father was. It doesn't matter how good your father was at fixing things. Be thankful that your heavenly father has given you the good gift of your husband with his peculiar gifts. For husbands and wives, as you think about your responsibility to hold fast to one another, do not use your new family. Do not use this wonderful gift of God to you. Do not use it as an excuse to despise or escape from your parents. Your parents can be wonderful resources of wisdom and provision in time of need, but they can never be replacements for your spouse. Mothers, when your mama's boy comes home to you, give him advice, but do not try to be his wife. Always, always point him back to his bride. Do not try to fix his problems or comfort him independent of his wife. Fathers, when your daddy's girl comes home to you, do not try to be her husband. You are her father, not, no longer her head. Give her advice that is going to help her submit to her own husband and is going to help her be his helper. Do not try to fix her problems independent of her husband. As we move on to verse 25 and continue to think about this 
new family that is formed when a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, we can see in verse 25 that in this context of marriage, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When verse 25 speaks of Adam and Eve being naked and not ashamed, we are instructed that in the marriage covenant, there should at no time be fear of abuse or exploitation. Husbands and wives, your spouse should never fear abuse from you. Never fear that you are going to exploit or expose their nakedness with you. Brothers, to put it plainly, this means several things, but a couple of common examples. This means that locker room talk with your boys is always sinful. Do not expose your bride to your buddies. It also means, brothers, that your wife is not a piece of meat for you to treat however you please in order to gratify your desires. Sisters, this means that when you run down or complain about your husband to your girlfriends, that this is sinful. There are godly ways for women to ask advice from older women, but venting is not one of them. Now this truth, that marriage is the only context where nakedness is not shameful, is not only instructive to married people, but it is also instructive to you who are still single. Young people, singles, covenant marriage is the only righteous place for sexual activity and intimacy. Young men and young women, girlfriends and boyfriends are not God's solution for your loneliness or for your sexual desires. Recreational dating is not God's solution for these things. Covenant marriage is. So singles, if you have strong desires in this area, those desires are good, but let those desires be instructive to you. Young men that have these growing desires, these desires in you are good, but they should instruct you that God would have you to be able and to be ready to provide for a wife spiritually, to be, be able to provide for her physically and financially. And so if you are still living off your mom and dad's paycheck, or if you are still too spiritually immature to lead a wife in prayer or Bible study or too immature to protect her from the false teachings of the world or false religions, then this is instructive to you that you are not ready for sexual intimacy. You are not ready for marriage. You are not ready for physical intimacy with a girl until you can provide these things for her. Oh, I know, brothers, I remember. Your body is ready. But young men, you are not animals driven by instinct and passion. You are an image bearer of God, and he has commanded you to deny yourself and trust in his ways of doing these things. 
Young men, if you have strong desires, but you are not ready to provide for a wife, then what you need is not a girlfriend. What you need is your father. You need your father to disciple you. Young man, if you have strong desires in this area, but you are not ready, then you need to go to your father and ask him to help you grow in the ways that will enable you to provide for a wife in all the ways that God expects a husband to do so. And if your father is not a believer, then you can praise God that he has given you many fathers in the church. And he has given you three pastors in the church who can help you in this area. And young women, let this be instructive to you as well as your desires are growing in this area. You are to look for a young man that you could joyfully submit to, a young man that you could joyfully help serve Christ together. If he cannot lead you in prayer or in Bible study, if he is worldly, if he could not provide for you currently or for a family, then he is not ready to be in a relationship with you. He is not the one that you want to be with. And if he is not able to do these things, but he is still pursuing you and saying all the right things to you, let me assure you as someone who once was a young man that he is trying to get you to join him in sin. And young women, if you are not ready to joyfully submit to a man, if you are not ready to joyfully help him serve Christ, if you are unconcerned with whether or not he's goodly and all you care about is right now is that he's good looking and that he's got a good personality, and precious daughters, you are not ready to be a helpmate. You are not ready to be a helper fit for him in all the ways that God expects you to be a wife. You do not need a boyfriend. You need your mama. You need your mama to teach you and help instruct you in all those things that God expects of a wife. And just as I said to the young men, if your mother is not a believer, then you have many mothers in the church. And you too have three pastors that God has given you that can help you in this area. Well, as we have considered our passage together this morning, seeing Adam's insufficiency, seeing his need in our first point, having seen God's provision for Adam in our second, and having seen the results of God's provision in the covenant of marriage in our third point, I want us to finish our time together today considering our passage this morning in gospel light. As we prepare to enter into a time of prayer and reflection on our passage this morning, I want to take a brief moment and I want us to see the gospel here in our passage. If you take a moment and just look back at our passage this morning and think about the details of it, brothers and sisters, I think that you'll realize that it sounds a lot like the gospel. A son leaving his father in order to be united with a bride. A father wounding his son in order to provide him with a bride. A son going to sleep and then rising again from his sleep and the father bringing his bride to him. 
and the Son and His Bride unashamedly united together. All of those elements are in our passage this morning, and hopefully having pointed them out to you, you can see the gospel in them. And indeed, the original purpose for marriage was to be a picture of Christ and His Bride, the church. The Apostle Paul makes this explicit in Ephesians 5 when he quotes verse 24 of our passage this morning about a man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife and the two becoming one flesh. Paul quotes that and then says in Ephesians 5, this mystery is profound. And what I am saying is that it refers to Christ and the church. Beloved, as we reflect on these things, what a wonderful thought for us to close on. What a wonderful thought for you to meditate on the rest of today, this Lord's Day. Listen to it in a way that it was put in a book entitled The Gospel of Genesis. The author of that book draws out for us the meaning of Paul's words in a beautiful way when he writes, Upon the first Adam... God brought the sleep of insensibility. Adam's side was wounded while yet in his innocence. Flesh and bone being taken from the physical creation of the first bride, finally Adam awakened to behold his bride in all her perfection. And in the fullness of time, God would bring upon the last Adam the sleep of death, whereupon his side would be wounded, blood and water issuing forth for the spiritual creation of the church, the blood for the bride's purchase, the water for her purification. Christ, as the last Adam, awakened in resurrection to behold his bride in all her perfection. Oh, brothers and sisters in Christ, what a beautiful truth this is for us. How comforting it is for us to know that our husband loves us. Our husband is providing for us. Our husband is protecting us. And our husband will see to it that where he is, we will be also. Beloved, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious in this world. But seek first your husband's kingdom and his righteousness and all that you have ever needed in this life and more than you could ever hope for or imagine and the one to come will be provided for you. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for how you instruct us in your word through this first marriage, through this creation of woman equal with man in your image created to help him do that which you have commissioned him to do. And Father, we thank you that you instruct us in your word that the importance of being fruitful and multiplying the crucial nature of that from
the fall until the promised seed would be born of a woman. But Father, we thank you that you have so provided for us that even though physical offspring is still important as we seek to bring the elect into the world, we no longer have to wonder about bringing the promised offspring, wonder about bringing the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us into the world. And because of what he accomplished, now whether we are married or single, whether we have many children or are barren, we can rejoice that we can have many children in Christ through the proclamation of his gospel, the spreading of his seed, trusting that he will conceive and bring forth life. Oh, Father, help us as your people to labor, as as our husband's helper in this world, proclaiming the seed of his gospel and looking and waiting and expecting for him to produce spiritual children from it. And then our responsibility as his helper to nurture, to baptize, teach them to obey their father's command. Oh, help us to do this work while we remain and labor in this world. But Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, longing for that day as we sung about when the clouds will roll back and our husband will appear and he will take his bride to himself without spot, without blemish. And we will dwell with him in eternity with glories unimaginable to us. Thank you, Father, for so providing for us in your Son. Help us to meditate on these things today. Help these things to be instructive to us as your people. And for those, Father, among us who may be unbelievers, we ask that you would use your word to help them to see that unless they are united, in faith, to the second Adam, to Jesus Christ, to the only husband that you have provided that can wash away our sins and make us clean, that unless they repent and trust in him, that they will perish eternally, as our brother Pastor Quinn has been instructing us in Sunday school. Help us to meditate on these things, Father, and cause them to elicit from us thanksgiving and praise which you deserve. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.